we still in Ecclesiastes? Yes, sir. I was praying the Lord wouldn't change you because he got me reeled in hook, line, and sinker. I didn't want to take no turns. Still there. Let's pray, brother. God, thank you so much. God, for being so incredibly good. God, thank you, Lord, for a day of fellowship. Thank you, God, for my brother. Thank you, God, for just some good times to be able to fellowship and talk about your goodness. God, thank you for an absolutely beautiful day. God, but we thank you most of all that we're able to be here tonight to worship a holy risen Lord. Lord, to give service to our God. Lord, I pray most of all, may you be pleased in all that we do and all that happens in this place. God, I pray that we bring glory and honor to you. Lord, I pray your sweet Holy Spirit would move in this place. I ask you to touch your anointed, God. Will you touch his lips? Speak through him, God. I pray you'd speak into our hearts the things that we need to hear, God, that you might shape us and mold us and make us. God, I pray on this night, Lord, I pray you'd move mountains for somebody. God, I pray you'd part some red seas for somebody. Lord, I pray you'd make a way out of no way for somebody, God. I pray you'd meet somebody in the spot right where they are tonight, God. Would you do amazing things in this place? We'll be careful to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. God bless you, brother. Thank you, Pastor. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter number 11. Chapter number 11. I'm going to do a little something different tonight. Thank you, Karen Peck and New River. Blessing to hear you guys sing in person. I think that's the first time I've heard you sing in person. Blessing. Appreciate it. Appreciate your faithfulness to the Lord. First two nights, Sunday night, Monday night, we looked at Solomon's book, Ecclesiastes, and I told you that Sunday night, last night, we will talk about Solomon's perspective, living life with a biblical perspective. It's hard living every day with a biblical perspective because we're just earthly. A lot of us, I even mentioned it last night, I was, I was sold on the American dream. You know, go to school, get a better job, get a better life. That's not necessarily the biblical perspective of life. Ask the Apostle Paul. You're going to suffer many things for my sake. So in order for us to do what Solomon's going to advise us in chapter 11 and chapter 12 is living for life's real purposes. We'll never get to the right purposes if we're not in the right perspective. Just as simple a thing as I said last night, you'll, you'll live your whole life and think your house is yours. And it's not. The breath in my body is not mine. So the house I'm living in is not mine. Even that Monte Carlo that I detested, that I had to pick the door up to shut it, I was glad to say it wasn't mine. But it was God's. Another perspective that is in this book, five times he will tell you to love the life you're in. When I was living in that trailer that had no deck, I did not enjoy the life that I was in, nor the house I was in, because it didn't have no deck. I didn't like the tempo I was driving either, because it had to be propped up by two by fours. But it was the life I was in. 
So two nights we have talked about having the right perspective. Now here's what I'm going to do tonight. I do, I do this every once in a while. And I know we're on Facebook Live probably. They won't get anything out of this. But we talked about four things. Two nights. I've kind of reiterated them. I want you to give them to me. Give me one. Life is short. All right, let's do them one at a time. I like that, though. That's good. All right, we're going to do it. Life is short first. Let's just talk about that one in just a minute. Everybody in this room knows that. If you're over whatever, let's say we'll do 35. Maybe we should be higher, but we'll just do 35. You know life is short. 62-year-old man, I FaceTimed my grandboy today. Or yesterday, whenever it was, we talked. I'm his bop. When I was a daddy and had two little girls, I lost so much time trying to grab something to make their life better. And all they needed was me. Sometimes it was ministry. Well, like I was playing softball, I've been doing this since I was 19, but sometimes it was good things that stole me away from better things. Paul teaches us to be able to pray for God to give us wisdom to make a choice between the good and the best. Not just evil and good, but best and better. We talked about that last night. How do I figure that out? By going to his word, I can understand that life is really short. I do not have time to do a bunch of do-overs if you're a daddy in the house tonight. I've asked you since Sunday night, if there's something going on in your home you need to fix, you should have done fixed it. If you was here Sunday night, you shouldn't be waiting tonight. You should have already fixed it. Why? Because life is short. You said plan. God's got a plan. Sometimes we'll take verses. I saw it on the screen, Ecclesiastes 3.11, that God makes everything beautiful. Sometimes his beautiful ain't nowhere near your beautiful. Yes. Romans 8.28, I told you the other night that I have had hard times quoting that Bible verse to mothers holding a dead baby that only lived about five days and five hours. I had a hard time getting that verse out of my mouth as a young pastor. I knew it was theologically right. But even I was trying to figure out how this is good. Our perspective is good means chocolate ice cream. Good sometimes means this right here that makes no sense to you will be for God's glory. Even if you don't see how. God's got a plan has got to be more than a good lick in a song or something you can print on a shirt. It's my perspective. If God's just messed my life up, God's still good. I'll just remind you of a couple of biblical stories. And I've already mentioned them to you. Remember Nehemiah? God showed up in Nehemiah and said, sorry, Nehemiah or, or Jeremiah, but you ain't getting married. No kids, no grandkids, no marriage, no fun, no Christmas tree singing. Ain't going to happen. I just want you to preach, prophesy, and everything you prophesy is going to be really bad. He used to stand outside the temple door and tell them they were wasting their time going to church. Now, can you imagine how much you would hate that preacher? 
And nobody's going to listen to you, and they're probably going to beat you up a good bit. And, by the way, you're going to spend a life in exile. I mentioned Daniel last night. How if you thought God chose to take you as a 15, 16-year-old, they would turn you into a eunuch, and I'll let you run with that in your own mind? Change your dress, change your life, try to mold you into their culture. What Daniel do? He was a man for God. But there's no way he would have chose that plan for his life. Whole life in exile, died in exile. Hosea, it's just one verse in Hosea 1. He tells him what he's got to do and why he's got to do it. I want you to go to marry a whore of whoredoms. I want you to go on that side of town and I want you to marry her. Because I want my people to see where they are in your wife. And I want my people to see who I am in you. And you remember the story, right? Nobody would have ever wrote that plan out. So tonight, biblical perspective. We know God has a plan But that doesn't mean that God's orchestrating his plan to make me necessarily happy. Holy, yes. And in that holy, you can be happy no matter what you're living in. Somebody give me another one. Do what? Yes, we are. He said that with fervor. You know, that's the backdrop that everybody needs in their life. I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring for 43 years, so I'm accountable to deacons. I'm accountable to people, the people that I shepherd. I'm accountable to my wife, 40-plus years of marriage. I got two girls. I got three grandbabies, two great-grands. I got a lot of accountability, a lot of hats to wear. But there's only one hat that keeps the rest of the hats right. I owe all to him. He gave me life, gave me breath. Most of my life, I've been disenchanted with the car I was driving. I didn't like the deck not being there on my trailer. I know what the pages of my history have been, unfaithful, disobedient. And God's just been faithful and loving and merciful and forgiving and used me in spite of myself. So I got to always keep in that backdrop that one day I want to stand before God and just hear that well done, right? What's, what's the third? We just got one, one left. Live for the eternal. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. Living for the eternal. And I mentioned it last night. I'll mention it again tonight. That does not happen by accident. N- nobody had to instill in me to love ball. Practice ball, play ball, want to do it, like it, do it in the backyard. Nobody ever had to just instill that in me. (laughs) But I don't know ever me just thinking, I just can't wait. I, I would really love to go knock on doors and talk to some people about Jesus. And I was raised in church and raised in a good home. That's intentional. That ain't gonna happen unless you do it. You'll put money back for a vacation. Everybody in this building probably does. You'll save money back, pocket it back. 
But you will not put money back to give it away like we talked about the other night unless you do it on purpose. Living for the eternal is something you'll do on purpose, something you decide to do because it's your perspective. Everything I got at my house, everything that's hanging in my closet, everything that's in my garage, everything that's in my 401k is all staying here. And I'm not saying you got to sell everything that you've got living a pup tent. I ain't selling that. But I am selling this. We put way too much importance on what we have on this planet. And it's easy to do. I do it, you do it, we all do it. So I want to live for the eternal. So the next two nights, we're going to do six verses tonight, Lord willing. What time is it? Yep, six verses tonight. And then I'm going to do the rest of it, chapter 7 on and all chapter 12 tomorrow night. See, it's the last night, so I can keep y'all at 10 o'clock because I'm leaving and, you know, I'm, whatever. Maybe you, won't, you won't have, probably won't have me back, but whatever. I'm just kidding. I ain't going to preach that long. So let's look in verses 1 through 6 tonight of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And let's talk a little bit for Solomon giving us some ideas about what it's like to have a life of purpose. Let's read these six verses, and then I'll go back through. And I'm going to give you five things, one, two, three, four, five things between tonight and tomorrow night. And I'm just going to give you one of them tonight. And I promise tomorrow night won't be that long. Just one tonight. You're thinking four tomorrow night? Praise the Lord. Here's the one tonight. Life is uncertain. Live it, investing it. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Life is uncertain. Live it. Investing it. Look in verse 1. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. First two days is like a merchant, like a salesman, like a guy that's uh, doing business and he's just advising him you need to do business. You need to do the business. You don't know what life's going to Pan out, but you need to be involved in business, casting your bread, investing your life. Verse 3. Maybe in verse 3, some have said, maybe he's thinking about a farmer. If the clouds be full of rain, this is an interesting verse of Scripture. You won't see this on anybody's T-shirt. If clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north... In the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Now, is that not profound or what? <laughs> right? Ain't nobody got that on a T-shirt. There it is. It's in the Bible, right? He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. If you're always looking, weather, what might be, he says you won't sow. And you won't reap either. As thou knowest not what is in the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. And other, you don't know what God's doing in the womb. We do now because we've got all those ultrasounds they do. But they didn't. Even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. Last little things he says in verse 6. In the morning sow thy seed. And in the evening withhold not thy hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Life is uncertain. 
Live it, investing. Four things I want you to think about tonight. Number one, live life to invest. He tells us in verses one and two, really verse one, he says, just cast your bread upon the waters and there's a promise, for thou shalt find it after many days. It's even an oddity in the scriptures where he's saying cast seed on waters. I don't know anybody that just throws seed in the lake. Most of their areas were really arid and dry. So sometimes they would just take some seed, which was very valuable. Seed was like money. You could use it to buy stuff. So it was important what they had, what they were investing. And he was saying, even in a little spot where there might be a little bit of water, just throw some seed out there. You just never know. You just never know. Just throw some seed out there. The application from this text is Solomon is telling those, the readers, us, in, in chapter 12, he talks more to the young because we've talked about that. Not to discount anybody in here over 50, but uh, you, you know that a good chunk of our lives in the rearview mirror now. So those of us that are younger, he's just reminding all of us, you need to be busy about investing your life in others. What did Jesus say was the greatest thing you could possibly aspire to be? A leader? No, a servant. What did Jesus tell the disciples when all of them missed it in John 13? I mean, they so missed it. They were the only guys there. It was just Jesus, an intimate time with Jesus and his 12. And they had a real opportunity. I mean, a seized opportunity to serve the master. And those smug, pompous disciples are sitting around in this room with nasty feet. And Jesus had to wait halfway through the meal to take his garment off, get down on his knees, and wash their feet. You know why? Because he was the only servant in the room. Perspective. James and John might have had a little money. I don't know. Zebedee's dad might have had a fishing pit. They might have said, well, I ain't washing nobody's feet. Servants always do that for us. We are to be served. Peter's probably thinking, I ain't doing it. I'm like the head deacon. I'm the head disciple. I ain't doing that. No way. Does anybody in the room know what they were arguing about? Who? What? What in the world? Are you kidding me? It's exactly right. Most chronological gospel book is Luke. And if you follow the narrative, what they are arguing about on the hours before they had an intimate week and all nighter with Jesus, they're arguing about who the greatest. How in the world do 12 men that hung out with Jesus wonder who's the greatest? Hands down, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus had no problem being a servant. And here's what he said in John 13. He said, this do, what I've just done to you, humbly served you, go and do it. And you know what he said? Happy are ye. Not in knowing what's right. In doing. Solomon's telling me, you want a full life? 
Give it away. Give it away. Don't have a house. Give your dreams to Jesus. Let him guide and navigate your life. And invest it because there's going to be a payoff. It's coming back. Oakwood, when I was at Oakwood in Anderson, there was a man that sat back under the balcony. His name was Bud Brown. Bud was an unassuming individual, never said a whole lot, quiet guy, older guy. And I didn't know it one day, but where Oakwood was sitting on 28 Bypass, Pyramidary Road, whatever, you, you could work your way through a market. The church was here, and there was, there was some Bilo Center and stuff over here. And you could work your way to a Hardee's. And I was going up to Hardee's to get a cup of coffee one day, and I never knew it. But Bud Brown, every day, morning, when the, bu the Greyhound bus coming from Atlanta to Charlotte would stop in Anderson at that Hardee's, and old Bud Brown was over there on the track. When they'd get off and when they'd get back on. And then he'd come back through in the evenings and old Bud Brown. He got hit by a car. Messed him up. Went to see him in the hospitals, legs all up in tractions, you know. all I mean, it was, it was a mess. Prayed with him, talked to him. He was a sweet guy. Sweet guy. It had been several months and... I was in my office at Oakwood, and I thought, I wonder if old Bud's over at Hardy's. <laughs> she listened to me. I worked my way around the buildings, and here's Bud Brown on a walker, <laughs> leaning on the walker. He wasn't doing it because it was a scheduled event at Oakwood. <laughs> he was a servant. He was going to invest his life. Perspective gives me purpose he never was on the platform nobody knew his name he wasn't in the bulletin I was the associate pastor I got to sit on the platform I must have been important <laughs> Bud Brown he had a purpose what's your purpose come church sit on the pew yeah for worship times you got a purpose though I've told you you got neighborhoods with kids in them Guess what? That's your mission field. That's where you're at. That's where you've been planted. So bloom like a believer, right? Invite them into your home. Will they make a mess? Yes. We done talked about all this, right? They will. Will they take you for granted? Yes. Will they thank you? Say thank you? Probably not. That ain't why you're doing it. You're doing it because that's exactly what Christ would do. Invest your life. I meant to call my preacher friend up in Greenville, Tennessee before I told this other story because it just so shook me. I preach at a church over in Greenville, Tennessee, and I live in, in Pickens, South Carolina, and you have to go over Sam's Gap outside of Asheville to get down to Irwin and then make your way over to Greenville. You can also go to Bristol, and that was the way to go to the race. Y'all know races, right? It's four-lane now, but it was two-lane back in the day. It was a nasty road. At night, rain, snow, terrible. On the Irwin side of that thing, there was a man that used to stand when the Bristol races was going on, and he would preach the gospel. In an area where you had to kind of come to a stop and make a turn. That was back in the day for the four lanes. You had to kind of stop, take a turn. 
He also had a speech impediment, so he didn't speak real plain. He wasn't an orator like me. (laughs) That's a joke, right? He wasn't an orator. He was not articulate. He was not polished. He was not trained. But he was a believer. And he thought all them guys going to the races and gals going to the races and couples going to the races, I'm going to get out there and just give them a little gospel. And he did it for years and then he died. And they had his little funeral in a little old church over around Irwin, Tennessee. And the people started noticing strangers in the auditorium. And they started asking questions in this story. I was coming down that road and I heard a man preaching and God spoke to my heart. The church had people all over that had been influenced by the seed that he just threw on the water. I'm asking you tonight, you got something to give. Bud Browns are all over churches. What are you going to invest? Look in verse 2. Still talking about living a life to invest it. Verse 2, listen to it. Give a portion. Portion means big. Like banana pudding. You don't want people to pinch that on you, right? You want a portion. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Like, I like ice cream. Don't mess around and give me like one scoop. No, no. Load the bowl up. Right? So y'all get the word, right? Y'all got the Hebrew word here, portion, right? Okay, just checking. Not just give that big old helping portion, give it to seven. Heap it up and give it to seven, also to eight. That's just weird. Seven is like, wow, that's the number. But then eight's like the do-over number, start-over number, new number. So what's he saying? Give and give and give and give. And when you've given to you can give, guess what? What? Give some more. I told y'all about the Monday nights that we used to do those Bible studies at my house. For about nine years, and they grew and they got larger. I'm asking some of you to get creative with how you do your life. Because you need to be investing it. First three boys that I met just had started ministry. First church, I was 19. And I, you know, I was just excited to be serving the Lord. I had about six people in the church. We didn't have nobody. Had a building and it was paid for. Hallelujah. Right? We had no debt. Didn't have no people, no money. But we didn't have no debt. And so I met three boys. Billy, Bennett, and Brian, y'all have heard a little bit about my story. I had a good mom and daddy. These three boys didn't have nothing. First time I walked in their house, you could have slid on the grit that was in the kitchen. It was dirty. So I got to thinking. My wife makes good sausage gravy. What three boys don't like sausage gravy, right? 
or basketball. So my first ministry as a 19-year-old pastor was just to invite three boys to my house every Saturday morning. And my mama fed them, my wife fed them biscuits and gravy, and I gave them basketball and Jesus. You've got to decide if you're going to live your life for the eternal. There's boys all around you. There's, in fact, there's more of them now than there's ever been. I got a call from our middle school the other day and wanted to know if I had a degree in counseling because middle schoolers are thinking about suicide. They don't know what gender they are. They don't know where their mama's at, their daddy's at. They're facing 10,000 times more than they've ever faced, faced. There's stuff on their phone, and some parents have no no filter even on their phones. They're out in the world. They need somebody that knows Jesus and knows a little bit about this book that's willing to invest their life. And I'm going to tell you again, it's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be frustrating. But that's who you are. You're a servant. So invest your life. So first thought, live your life by investment. Look at the little thing at the end of verse 2. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. You don't have time to mess with it, like I've told you all week. you got to get started right now. You can't wait. Number two. Number two. I'm going to call this live... Really, number two was verse two. I'm sorry, living generously. So there's the first two. First one, live it to invest it. Second one, live generously. That means do it generous. Number three, verses three through five, live with a plan. Live with a plan. Remember the crazy verse, verse three? You can spend your whole life living in verse three. What if it rains? What if that tree falls? We got a tree in the back of our house, and my wife's probably watching tonight. I might, I might have to sleep outside Thursday night because I said something Sunday night too. There's a tree that's kind of leaning. She has told us for 22 years that baby's going to fall. I said, baby, it's okay if it falls. It ain't nowhere near the house, and when it falls, we'll cut her up. You spend your whole life wondering about what you need to be doing. Or maybe you're in the category, you tried something one time that didn't work all that, that great, so you just quit. You retired early. <laughs> it was loud in our house on Monday nights. Some of those kids that showed up at the house, most of them were high schoolers, most of them could drive, you know. But it was a mess. It was difficult, it was hard, and we did it every Monday night. I just told Wanda, we're going to do it every Monday night. Just so the kids will know every Monday night you can show up at my house at 7. You need to decide what you're going to do with your life. You can't spend the rest of your life saying, I'll wait till later. I'll wait till I don't have kids. I'll wait till I have the money. I'll wait till I get the whole Bible figured out. <laughs> really? I'm just asking you tonight to look at this passage of Scripture and think about it. Look at verse 4. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. He that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. If you spend your whole life just looking at what you could do, might do, think about it possibly, but you never do it, you're not sowing and you're not going to reap. It's just, it's just never going to happen. 
So I'm asking you tonight to think about in verse number five, where he says, we don't know how the spirit of God's working. We don't know what God's doing. There was a kid in our youth group, his name was John. John and his brother, they, they were pieces of work. I don't know how he, what he said. I, I had to sit on the platform on Sunday mornings. I detested it. You can't take a nap on a platform, right? I mean, if you go to sleep, people's going to notice you're going to sleep. So I'm on the platform, and I could see up in the balcony, and just about every service, the two of them would get up, and they would just kind of wander around the church building. Found out later they were visiting a few classrooms and taking a little money out of the Sunday school classes. Over the years, John began to get more connected with youth group. One year he come up to me and he asked me, he said, Preacher, I'd love to go to New York with you guys for the missions trip. And I said, well, you know, you hadn't done anything. To go on the missions trip, you had to come to Sunday school every Sunday. And you had to go on visitation. You had to do this Bible study. You had several things you had to do in order to be a part of the team. And so I went to the team. I said, the leaders and the kids, I said, look, you, you guys are going to have to vote. I don't know if we need to let him go or not. So they voted. And John went. And John, everything went pretty good. On Thursday night, we'd been in New York maybe four or five days doing our basic thing that we do, going out on the streets, talking to people about the Lord, working in the local church up there, doing different things. On that Thursday night, oh, John gave his heart to Christ. John came back a different human being. Um, last October, I preached a revival in John's church. Man, it was just amazing. I preached in his church out in Colorado. It was amazing. There is nothing special about me, but there is something amazing about sowing the seed of the gospel. It changed people's lives. Quit saying you can't do it. Yes, you can. Quit saying you don't have what it takes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. All you got to do is get a plan. Devise a plan to use your house, use your car, use your life for the gospel. Have you ever thought about how Paul mapped out, navigated doing mission work? If you study through the, uh, the, the book of Acts, you can kind of get somewhat of an idea that he was going to major cities. Now, every once in a while, the Spirit of God would come up and he, he might have a vision or something like the Macedonian call and he would go over to a particular place. But most of it was his plan. Most Christians never do anything because they're sitting on a church pew waiting on some epiphany to take place, some light to shine. No, if there's lost kids in your neighborhood, guess what? They're yours. If you've got children in your family that don't know Jesus, guess what? They're yours. But if you never devise a plan, if you're always thinking, I can't, or if you started something and it just didn't pan out. I'm telling you today, if you want to live a life that's going to be fulfilling, learn to live with intentional plans to reach people with the gospel. The last thing that we'll look at is in verse number six. 
Verse number six. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that. In other words, he's saying you, you, you might, this might prosper, that might prosper, or both of them might prosper. You don't know. It's uncertain. But the thing you need to get out of verse 6 is sow in the morning, sow in the evening. Let it be who you are. That's the last thing. Live your life to invest it. Live generously. Remember, portion. Get a begging. Give it big. Go big. If you're going to do something for Jesus, go big. We go big on vacations, right? I don't mind telling you, we spend money on vacation every year. Me, my wife, my girls, grandkids, we get us a big old house down in Edisto. I'll even tell you, it costs about $6,000. We go big. I think God wants to enjoy life. When's the last time you spent five or $6,000 on missions? You remember Jesus in Luke 12? I mentioned it to you. Did you look it up? Jesus himself says, sell some stuff. So you can invest in eternal things. He even says, going a little further, he says, make sure your bags, the stuff you keep your money in, make sure your money don't get old. Use it. I'm not saying you got to get rid of all your 401ks. I ain't saying that. But I'm telling you this. We spend a whole lot of our life living for here and now and planning for a future and forgetting about the treasure that Jesus says is laid up there that no moth, no corruption, nothing can touch. And we're not being rich toward God. We're going to die paupers in the eternal side of things. Live generously. Live with a plan or it's not going to happen. Live consistently. I used to tell our kids on missions trips, and when, I'd go on, when we'd go on missions trips there, at the, I've done missions trips my whole life, or really since the, the early 90s. The 80s, the first probably 10 years of my ministry, I didn't do many mission works, but first time I went to the mission field and I saw how good we had it in America, I felt almost ashamed to be a Christian. First time I stood in Mexico in a village, way out in the village, and the guy was living in a dump. I don't know how anybody said I wouldn't live in it. And he was living in that so he could build a church first. So they'd built the bottom out of concrete blocks, and we were raising money for him to build the upper level. And so what we'd done is we'd raise the money so we could go back to Mexico. And the pastor told me I, I got to give him the check. I, I was so excited to give him the check. So he could build the three rooms on top that he could live in. And we did. And he hit his knees. And was thanking God for it. And here's what the Spirit of God. Don't you? The Spirit of God sometimes really shows up just at, at the bad time with the really bad news. Here was the bad news. Guy, you wouldn't live here. He still wasn't going to have running water. He's still going to be going to not, not much more than a latrine for a bathroom. His truck he was driving, I don't know that duct tape and hay bale and wire would have kept it together. But he was thanking God for his blessings. I knew right then I was a spoiled Christian brat. I'm so thankful 
for God introducing me to believers all around the world that really knows what it's like to have only Jesus and be absolutely excited. Most of us, and I'm just being honest, are Jesus plus. Jesus plus, I got this great house. Jesus plus, I got Jesus. So we would take these missions trips and I, I would try to make them as difficult as possible. Like we, we never stayed in motels. We'd always stay like in a gym somewhere we had to sleep on the floor. And I would sleep on the floor too. I, I didn't stay at the motel. I stayed with them on the floor. I don't do floors as good as I used to. I'm just saying. I still try to do it if I can. So we'd sleep on the floor, share showers. Have you ever had about 30 or 40 people sharing two or three showers? It's nasty. And I'd make them clean them. We're soft. We just are. So for a week, and, and, and the kids were paying to go. <laughs> they were paying to go sleep on the floor. I paid my way too. But I told those kids, I said, look, for one week, for one week of your life, Thankfully, we don't have to sleep on the floor all the time, but for one week of your life, the focus of your life has been, let's get New York City, let's get Pennsylvania, let's get Mexico, let's get them the gospel. Let's have kids over here and let's share Christ. Let's give all of our time. Let's give all of our efforts. Let's work as a community. Let's work as a co-op. I said, guys, we are the worst of hypocrites if we go back home and we go right back to business as usual. We go right to that soccer team and never share our faith. We go right back to the football team and never invite any of them over to the house after a Friday night game and say, can we have a Bible study? If it's not your life, in the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, sow your seed. You are a constant servant of God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If God's spoken to your heart tonight, maybe you're here, you're not saved. Maybe you're here tonight, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. I hope tonight that you'll come speak with someone, let them show you the gospel, and become a follower of Christ. Number two, and we've talked about it since Sunday night, if there's stuff you need to fix in your life, and again, I, I'm not telling you I got all this figured out in my life. I don't. At 62, I'm getting just a little bit lazy. I want to use my age as an excuse. I'm breathing. I need to be investing. I'm breathing. I need to be living for the eternal. I'm breathing. But I don't know when that last breath is coming. I'm breathing. So I want to be doing everything I can that brings glory to God. So if God's spoken to your heart. You respond, Pastor. I could ask if you would, just heads bowed just for a minute, eyes closed. This, this isn't about anybody but yourself and your relationship with God. If you know you could do more for the glory of God, raise your hand. Yeah, there's not a... There's not an unraised hand in the house. 
If you know that in spite of all of our weaknesses and all of our failures and all of our sin and all of our mistakes and all of our messes that we've made, that God's grace is bigger than our messes and God's mercy is greater than our sin and that you can be used of God, raise your hand. So we all know that we can be and we all know that we're not. So I'm going to ask us all, if we would, just do business with God tonight. He spent three days on eternal things, eternal things, eternal things, eternal things. That's all that keeps ringing out my mind, eternal things, because I'm, I'm like at least a lot of people I know. I spent a lot of time working for junk, things that I think we need, things that I think we want, stuff I want, stuff. Stuff that before very long, I'm going to leave and you know how you can have it all. Ain't none of it going to matter. But when I leave, because I spent some time fooling with stuff, I'm going to leave some souls behind that are still on their way to hell. God might could have used me to make a difference. I'd have put more time in eternal things. Thank you for the message, preacher. Thank you so much for refocusing eternal things. I want to ask if you would, if there's anybody in here that you do not know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, don't, don't miss the opportunity. I, I would like to think it's revival, it's the middle of the week, and you're here. I'd like to think everybody here is a child of God. But I can't imagine missing an opportunity to make sure that you know that you know that you're a child of the King, washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can change that tonight. It's not a poem. It's not a magic prayer. It's you surrendering your heart to Jesus Christ. You surrender your heart to God the Father. You confess your own sins with your own mouth. Lord, I'm a sinner. You've got to find yourself where you are. You can't, you can't get found until you realize you're lost. You've got to confess your own sins. Lord, I'm a sinner. But I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the blood. And I'm asking you to cleanse me in the blood of Jesus and save my soul. In Jesus' name. If you're faithful to call on him, God's faithful to save your soul. Don't, don't leave here. Don't leave here tonight without Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. For all of us as children of God, don't, don't let it just be another ho-hum. I told you before we ever started this, I don't want just another church service. I don't, I don't want to go through the motions. When this week ends, I don't want to be able to say we went to church four nights this week. I want to say I met with God. I felt the Spirit, and He spoke to my heart, and He showed me some things. And one of the things that I've seen is that I'm not doing enough. I'm not being enough for the glory of the one that reached down and saved my unworthy soul. So I want to ask you if you would, just do business with God. Miss Karen, if you guys don't come on, they're going to sing a couple of songs. And... um. You do what you need to do. You, you pray as you will. Use the altar as you will. Rejoice as you will. We got something to praise him for, don't we? Amen.